Ladies and gentlemen, it's another beautiful night back here in Toronto, the 6th, on a Tuesday nonetheless. We are getting into episode 15, uh, or actually this, yeah, this should be episode 15 or 14. Let me just check that real quick. But anyway, um, on this episode, we got a lot going on. Hopefully the quality of the audio has improved significantly considering that, um, you know, uh, the audio is done on my Blue Yeti microphone, and um, I prefer doing podcasts off of this microphone than uh, the little lapel mic that I was using before. Um, so uh, hopefully you guys enjoy this audio. Uh, it is episode 15 after just checking with my, uh, my compatriots. Uh, the newsroom back here, which is uh, me typing into Google, uh, the team decided and checked it's definitely uh, episode 15 anyway we got some new stuff in the news that we're going to be checking today Uh, so let's summarize that before we get into our episode the first thing is uh, we're going to be talking about china again and the coronary virus that has just been sweeping the nation Um, how more people are getting sick and how that's affecting some other countries and it's going to be reported internationally So that is our first piece of news. Our second piece of news that we will be covering today is about uh, a teenage indigenous water activist, Autumn Peltier. Um, She went to see Greta at a convention of some sorts, and they were talking about climate change again. Um, So we have a little deep dive into what is going on over there. And our third piece of news, we're going to talk about uh, Fabio Schwartz. Schwarzman um, and uh, the Brazilian state prosecuting uh, him and the mining company for a dam disaster in 2019 that killed quite a few people and how the consequences are now uh, finally being paid upon that company and upon uh, the owner himself. So that is what we have today. I am Kevin and you are listening to A Mention with Kevin. This is episode 15, January 21st, 2020. Let's get right to it. A resident of Washington State who returned from a trip from China last week was has been diagnosed with a new coronary uh, coronary virus, which has sickened hundreds of uh, people in China. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said today, the man returned to Seattle area in the middle of last week after traveling to Wuhan in central China, where the outbreak began. The Snohomish County resident is in his 30s and was in good condition today at Hospital in Everett, outside Seattle. He's not considered a threat to medical staff or the public, health officials told reporters on a conference call. Officials are now tracing the man's movements and contacts in China and in the U.S. He has told health officials he did not visit any of the markets in Wuhan that were implicated in the outbreak and did not know how anyone who was sick. He Uh, We are still in the early stages of this investigation, both domestically and abroad. Dr. Nancy Mezzonari, director of the CDC National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Diseases, told reporters. 
The man did not have symptoms when he arrived at Seattle Tacoma Airport last Wednesday, but contacted health officials on Sunday when he began to feel ill, officials said. Samples were sent to the CDC overnight Sunday, and the man's diagnosis was confirmed on Monday. The risk to the public is very low, Mizunari said. The virus, which can be caused, uh, cause coughing, fever, difficulty breathing, and pneumonia, has infected about 300 people in total, all of whom were in China or had recently been there. The death toll from the outbreak has risen to six in China's central city of Wuhan, the city's mayor told state television earlier today. The total of 258 cases have been confirmed in the city by the end of Monday, Zhuo Xingwang said that in an interview. Separately, China's eastern Zhejiang Provincial Health Authority said a total of five cases of the new coronary virus were confirmed as of noon today local time. Chongqing uh, City also confirmed five cases of infection, the city's health authority said today. As a death toll from the mysterious flu-like virus from China climbed and new cases surged, authorities fretted about the added risk from millions of Chinese traveling for the Lunar New Year holiday. The World Health Organization warned today that the new coronary virus was likely to spread. More cases should be expected in other parts of China and possibly other countries in the coming days, said uh, World Health Organization spokesperson Tarek Jasserverk. Based on current information, an animal seems to be the most likely primary source of the outbreak, Jasserervik said. Reports suggest that the infection can cause mild to severe disease and be fatal in some. Based on current data, some new cases have been ex seem to experience milder diseases, within, uh, which is within the milder end of the spectrum of symptoms caused by the respiratory illnesses. The WHO tweeted that it would hold an emergency committee meeting on Wednesday to determine whether the outbreak constituted as a public health emergency or international concern and what recommendations should be made to manage it. So far in China, the virus has mostly only been concentrated in Wuhan City, although isolated cases have also been reported in Shanghai and Beijing. Outside of China, cases have been confirmed in Thailand, South Korea, Japan, and now for the first time, the United States. Taiwan, the self-ruled island that China claims as its own, also confirmed its first case, a woman who had returned from work in Wuhan on Tuesday, or today. Taiwan, which has close economic and people-to-people -people links with China, despite political tensions on Monday, set an epidemic response command center to coordinate the island's response to the virus. More than a thousand beds were prepared in isolation wards in case the virus spreads further. Countries in Asia and around the globe have begun body temperature checks at airports, railroad stations, and across highways in hopes of catching people carrying the virus. The measures are part of a widening effort aimed at preventing a repeat of the 2002-2003 outbreak of SARS, another coronary virus that started in China and killed nearly 800 people, paralyzed transport and damaged the Asian economies. In Canada, 44 people died, many of them healthcare workers, from the SARS virus. 
China's often secretive communist government was blamed for making SARS far worse by initially hiding the information and blocking the work of the World Health Organization. This time, China's leader, Xi Jinping, has led calls for tough measures, ordering that the party committees, governments, and relevant departments at all levels should put people's lives and health first. At the airport in Wuhan, the temperatures of departing passengers were being checked. Virtually anyone in a public role, from a traffic policeman to bank tellers, along with many riding public transit, have donned protective masks. Dr. Teresa Tam, Canada's chief public health officer, told reporters Monday that there are no reported cases in Canada and the agency is not aware of any cases involving Canadians overseas. There are three travelers from Wuhan who were investigated and ruled out over the last week, Tam said. She would not say where in Canada they were screened. Public Health Agency of Canada, PHAC, told reporters on Sunday that the overall risk of disease spread to Canada is considered low. Canada has no direct flights from Wuhan, and the volume of travelers arriving indirectly from Wuhan is low, the PHAC said. The PHAC said it would be implementing additional measures in the coming week, including warning signs in English, French, and simplified Chinese at airports in Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal. On the kiosks where people fill in questions, they'll be asked if they've been in an area affected by the outbreak within the past 14 days. A spokesperson for the Vancouver Airport Authority said today the new measures have not yet been implemented. If an ill passenger is referred to quarantine, their temperature would be taken as part of the assessment. One case has been detected in Japan and Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has urged officials to step up quarantine checks at airports and other entry points where with many visitors from China expected to arrive during the holidays. The number of Chinese tourists has risen steadily in recent years, with more than one more than 9 million visiting last year. Japan will require visitors arriving from Wuhan to fill in health forms, Chief Cabinet Secretary Yoshihide Suga said. Japan confirmed its first patient last week, a man in his 30s who tested positive for the coronary virus after returning from Wuhan. The Ministry of Health, Labor and Welfare has said it has tracked down 41 people who have, con- who have contacts with the patient and is monitoring them all. It says none of them develop pneumatic symptoms have developed pneumatic symptoms yet. Brendan Murphy, Australia's chief medical officer, said flights from Wuhan are being met by biosecurity staff and by state health officials in New South Wales who are distributing pamphlets in English and Chinese to all passengers describing the symptoms of the disease and asking them to identify themselves if they have any. Australian health officials said that a man was placed in isolation in Brisbane after developing a respiratory illness after traveling to Wuhan but now recovered. Russian airports have stepped up security of travelers arriving from China too, airport officials said today. At least six, oh, no, sorry, at least four Russian airports, Shrometivov and Nuvoko, I'm sorry for the pronunciation, in Moscow, as well as airports in Yekaterinburg and Irkutsk, have introduced screening measures to try to identify infected passengers, Russian airport officials said. The virus was a threat to Russia. Deputy Health Minister Sergei Kravoya has cited as saying by the RIA news agency. Russia's Consumer Health Regulatory 
Ross Bradford-Navazor advised Russian tourists who plan to go to China to refrain from visiting Wuhan and to steer clear of zoos and of markets selling animals and seafood. The regulatory said it would not rule out the possibility of infection spreading to Russia, but evaluating the risk of widespread outbreak in Russia as low. The Interfax News Agency reported. It has also been cited as saying that a testing system to diagnose the new coronary virus has been developed in Russia and that laboratories would start receiving it by the end of the week. Regional authorities have already been briefing on measures they need to take to reduce the risks of an epidemic. More than 1.5 billion Chinese citizens visit Russia each year, according to Rotspor Trevednor. I'm sorry for that pronunciation. Again, it's a Russian name that I'm fairly unfamiliar with. So that is the report of what's going on in Wuhan. It's uh, interesting to see that it is slightly spreading a little bit more and that there's one case in the U.S., which is poor to say the least. But um, it looks like new measures are starting to take effect and that it will be implemented in airports. I think people will be more cautious when they're going out in terms of who they stay in contact with or what they're buying or consuming. Um, So this is a good thing, a good precaution. Um, Hopefully they're able to control this a little bit more. Um, It it is difficult, as I I believe I've said before, the Lunar New Year is coming up, and that is a large holiday within China, where a lot of Chinese migrant workers return back to their families or they travel for the holiday season, and they come in contact with uh, many surfaces during their train rides, airplane rides, or their commutes from buses or uh, cars. So it'll be interesting to see if this disease outbreak uh, will be managed, um, how the World Health Organization will issue it as if it is an international risk or if it can be contained in China, and what are the next steps in order to uh, control this uh, new epidemic. All right, now with some other news, we're looking at our second piece. Teenage Indigenous water activist Autumn Peltier says she doesn't feel that Canada's federal politicians are focused enough on climate change, even after years of her campaigning for them to make action. The 15-year-old, who hails from Wikakemkong, First Nation of Manitoulin Island in northern Ontario, shared her dismay at the lack of attention towards the issue while on a panel at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, today. Peltier has spent her last eight years putting pressure on politicians to take action for climate change more seriously while advocating for clean drinking water in Indigenous communities and serving as the Chief Water Commissioner for the Anishinaabek Nation, a, a political advocacy group for 40 First Nations across Ontario. She has urged the United Nations General Assembly to warrior up and take up a stand for our planet and confronted Prime Minister Justin Trudeau about his broken promises at a meeting at the Assembly of First Nations. While sharing the stage in Davos with fellow teen activist Greta Thunberg of Sweden, Natasha Wansan from Zambia, and Salvador Gomez Colon of Puerto Rico, she heaped more pressure on uh, politicians back home. It is almost like they don't believe climate change is real, she said. Climate change is a real thing, and they are not realizing it. Her remarks come amid warnings that Canada is warming twice as fast as the rest of the world, and as youth like Peltier are increasingly called for the global 
the globe to band together and address climate change. Peltier said she had received some support from Algoma Manitoulin MPP Mike Mantha and Carolyn Bennett, the Federal Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations, but has found that many of her counterparts are putting the attention elsewhere. They are focused on just money, and we need to be more focused on actual things going on, she said. She also revealed that her age plays a role in how seriously she's being taken. I personally don't feel that I'm heard from politicians. When it comes to the federal government, it's really hard to get their attention and be heard by them, she said. I just feel being a youth, we are not as heard as we can be. Uh, so this is just another kind of look at what is going on in climate change in the activism world. Uh, we're seeing a lot of young people like Greta and uh, this young girl Peltier uh, working very hard in terms of trying to convince politicians to take more steps to ensuring legislation and different decisions and agreements to be made in order to uh, positively affect the country in terms of moving towards removing our carbon footprint uh, in any way reducing our emissions to zero is is what they radically want as well um, i know it's very difficult for a nation to kind of turn around from using fossil fuels and i can understand what uh the government is going through justin trudeau himself and um and how it's hard to just up and zealously it's, it's easy to zealously say let's just make everything zero emissions and not allow um, that sort of uh, energy to be used and only clean energy will be provided. But with transportation, uh, such as buses or trains right now, uh, we don't have enough to actually transport people properly for commuting. Um, I would also state that within the general market, there's not many electric cars driving on the road. Um, so people rely heavily on their transportation in North America and especially Canada on their cars. So it's difficult to just say get rid of emissions because many consumers use that. I think that they should be more heavily taxed on um, the audio industry now to switch over to electric cars. And um, talking to some of my friends and, and my dad works for GM, I'm able to to know that the kind of moves that they're making in the auto industry looks like uh, most automotive companies, GM being one of them, are transitioning to designing electric cars and to building more sustainable uh, vehicles in that regard. And so it is encouraging to see that that's, that's in development and that that seems to be taking a popular stance and that they'll be more available um, in the future. Um, but right now, I, I think the most, almost the most environmental thing to do is to use what we, we, we have right now, what we're given, the cars that we're given. And unfortunately, they do rely on gas, um, but it would be a waste to just <laughs> essentially scrap our cars for nothing and uh, get rid of them, zero emissions. Uh, there's a lot of industry as well within mining um, and within energy that rely on fossil fuels and other sources of unclean energy like coal or uh, natural gas even. Um, so transitioning those companies, I think giving them a timeline or giving them incentives to transition into building greener uh, initiatives and stuff like that. Maybe like a three-year initiative or something like that that they can begin so that they can begin to sell power from a cleaner source from buying turbines or solar panels or investing in hydro dams that can uh, produce electricity, even incinerators for that matter. Um, some mo Most incinerators are, are heavily engineered right now that they're able to not pollute the air too much 
and they have quite a filtration system on them. So I think this is a great opportunity, uh, yes, to look at ourselves and say, hey, where can we improve on this? Even as consumers, we can improve on this. Um, and I think that large companies and industries should be should be challenged by policies put in place by the government. But I, I don't think that I can zealously and uh, confidently back them up that we can just switch to zero emissions because realistically, that, that's not possible. That is not a possible goal to in mind. I believe transitioning is a lot better because we also need to help those developing countries as well. And so I think that uh, with some smart transitions, we need to be strategic when we're doing these kind of things, um, investing in the correct companies and incentivizing those who are doing the right thing with clean energy. But that, that's just my opinion right there that I've given you. Uh, let me know what you guys think. Uh, you can at me at Twitter, at my Twitter handle, at Kevin underscore Hobie. And I want to know your climate change opinion. All right, moving on to our third piece of news. Um, this has a little bit to do a little bit more with my work that this is why I picked this up. I work for uh, a consulting, an engineering consulting firm, and we've done some mining projects. So this third piece of news is about a Brazilian state prosecutors who have charged Fabio Schwarzman, the former chief executive of Minor Vale, and 15 other people with homicide for a dam disaster last year that killed more than 250 people, according to the charging document seen by Reuters. In addition to homicide charges, Vale, S.A., and Tuv Sud. The companies responsible for inspecting the dam were charged with environmental crimes. Prosecutors said that the 16 individuals had worked for Valet or Tuf Sud, which was its global headquarters in Germany. The charges was come almost exactly one year after the collapse of the Valley Dam in the state of Minas, Gerais, represent a major step towards Brazilian authorities attempting to hold individuals criminally responsible for the disaster. Andreas de, de Oliveira Lachoti, sorry, a state prosecutor, told reporters earlier this month that Valley and Tuvsud employees knew the dam was at risk of collapsing and failed to act. She said state prosecutors believe Tuvsud had significant interest in signing off on the dam security, particularly after Valley had fired a different inspection firm that declined to do so. The collapse of the Valley tailings on January 25th of 2019 in the town of Braman Dejo was one of the world's deadliest mining disasters and knocked 19 billion US dollars off Valley's market value in a single day. Values, uh, Valley's shares were down 2.5% in the afternoon, trading in Sao Paulo. In a statement, Tuvsud said it continues to be deeply saddened by the tragic collapse of the dam in Brumandinho and that the company's thoughts are with the victims and their families. The company has also said that it believes the cause of the accident has not yet been definitively determined. We continue offering our cooperation to the authorities in Brazil and Germany regarding ongoing investigations, the company said. Federal prosecutors and police are also investigating the Bramandinho disaster and could bring additional charges at the federal level in the future. Valley did not immediately respond uh, to a request from reporters to comment. So uh, it's it's good to see this. Um, it's very sad, the kind of thing that happened there. Obviously, 250 people, more than 250 people, I think, are reported um, still lost and missing, um, but have 
obviously, uh, well, I don't want to say obviously, but uh, tragically have been killed in a dam disaster. Um, we were actually in, at our workplace. We were shown um, some footage of, of what how the dam failed and the kind of wake of the disaster it showed and just the enormity of uh, the situation of how the tailings um, failed with uh, what it was containing. And it was, it was a landslide and there was uh, massive water as well in there. Uh, it just covered anything. It looked like an avalanche, but it, it, it's strange to see that soil act in a way like that um, it was very sad um, and obviously these companies uh, were neglecting uh, the foreseeing uh, foreseeing these uh, dam flaws and design errors that that were, were going on um, so we've worked with some mining dams before and um, it's important to always check your work and ensure that uh, that the tests you're doing on the site um, indicate if, if the dam is failing or not so that you could report it to the correct people and there could be no loss of life. A small town was affected by this. They were completely wiped out. They had no chance of survival. And um, a lot of the workers as well perished within this uh, terrible incident. So I think it was preventable. I think that mining companies should be very responsible for for, for what they design. Um I, I, I do believe that this was neglect on the company's end um, and that they were cutting corners and they and they, they wanted to do this because they didn't want to raise any issues or they didn't want to add to more design and spend more money. Uh, but ultimately, their company suffered at the end because of this disaster. Um, so I'm, I'm just hoping that justice will prevail here, that the Brazilian government and um, I believe maybe the German government, as the company has headquarters in Ger Germany, will prosecute these companies and hold them uh, hold them liable for the 250 and more people that were lost in this. Um, I think that they should no longer be allowed to design mines. Uh, maybe some of the employees who weren't involved in this should not, but the uh, the engineers who are accountable for this and uh, the inspectors who are accountable for this, um, who are st who are living right now, I think they should... Um, they should be held responsible for their actions, and uh, this shouldn't be. This should set a standard for for an industry of designing dams and tailings, of uh, what not to do. Uh, a terrible disaster like this, and so um, I'm just worried because of Brazil, the way that they're kind of working in terms of trying to build such a, a powerful economy. They've been allowing more dam, um, not dam, sorry, mines to be produced and whatnot within different regions from. Um, their government as a an effect of trying to change the economy and and boost Brazil's economy. Um, I'm just worried that something like this will be able to slide under the radar. But uh, we should give it our full attention. And if if I get any other updates on this, I will let you guys know about this. I'm very interested in this, as I work with many engineers, and uh, and the work that I do. This this pertains very closely to what I see. Um, happening within my workplace but i i just hope that the engineers are are paying close attention to uh what records and data they're given from the field studies all right now with that news over uh we're gonna have a little bit of fun now um i am going to do another section now that i'm back in toronto um i got my list of questions here given by some of the viewers uh, so the question that we have today, I wanted to give it kind of lighthearted as we, as we got some heavy news about climate change, obviously. We had some more news about the Chinese um, pneumonia outbreak, almost pneumonia-like outbreak, the, cor um, 
the the disease that is going around and we have this mining company being held accountable i thought we should lighten the mood a little bit with this question given by one of you and it asks what kind of skateboard should i get so it writes they write the viewer writes so i want to start skateboarding because all my friends do it and it looks like a fun activity the thing is i don't know what kind of board to get I'm not wanting to do any skate tricks or crazy things like that. I just want to get around and hang out with my friends. I'm a bigger girl. 14, 215 pounds. So again, I'm just wanting to know what kind of board should I get. So um, I, I hope I read this correctly. I, I believe you're 14, 215 pounds. Um, so in terms of what type of skateboard, I don't know if you know, ladies and gentlemen, why I picked this question, but I also am fond of skateboarding. Um, I, it's a hobby and a passion, not like a great passion. I'm kind of fairly passionate. I like skateboarding around and enjoy riding around on my board uh, within the city. I find it a great mode of transportation. And I picked that up probably three to four years ago. Now, the way that I learned to skate <laughs> um, is a pretty funny story. Uh, my uncle, on uh, my mother's side is a very good uh, through marriage mind you he's not um, I have none of his skateboarding genes because it's evident I, I, I definitely don't very very talented skateboarder he can heel flip kick flip um, I'm pretty sure I saw him do some manuals um, he's able to do a rail slide I think as well um, stuff like that um, I, I went skating with him one one time trying to learn I had elbow pads uh, a thick helmet and a skateboard. Uh, what happened was I tried to do a manual like he did at the skate park, um, ended up uh, falling off the board and smashing my head on the concrete ground. Yes, on a thick concrete slab. Um, I was all right. I was a little shook though, and I was very glad that I got a helmet. So at the age of 14, I think I was probably like your age when that happened. So I would highly recommend, at 14, your motor skills are still developing. I'd really, if you want to get kind of good at skateboarding, um, or if you're just learning, wear one of those skate helmets. They're, they're, they're lifesavers. They, they saved me from a definite concussion. Um, and get some elbow pads and knee pads because you're definitely going to use them if uh, you kind of bail on your board. Uh, definitely knee pads. Uh, well, I, I would also go with elbow pads, but yeah. So with that regard, I gave up skating for a while. Cut to... Kevin in college, looking fly. I'm I'm snapping all over college. I'm super cool, and um, I get into a famous vlogger named Cassie Nistet, or as you guys know him, Casey Neistat. And now Casey Neistat has a lot of vlogs, and he enjoys skating as well. But his kind of skating is uh, bringing his penny board. He doesn't bring, uh, he has a couple skateboards and boosted boards, but primarily when he travels, he finds to have something small to travel around airports and to get to the terminal on time is a penny board. And so I really respected this guy and I was like, hey, maybe I should try to get a penny board and, and skate around. I'm in college. I, I Sometimes I get scared that I'm going to miss class. So um, there I go. I went on my computer, typed in on Amazon, clicked enter, clicked penny board. And there she came up, my beautiful penny board, black as night, yellow wheels as, as, as bright as the sun. 
And I think I bought it for something like 30 to 24 dollars, something between that range. I can see boards here right now because I, I just typed it in at like 30 dollars. Um, so I got a penny board and I began learning it and uh, it took a few tries before I really got the hang of it. But um, trying in the parking lot of my college, um, I got really good at it. Um, I started using it to get from class to class. I used it with my bags and stuff like that. I even vlogged off of it with a couple times. And uh, with that, I was able to skate down the halls of my college, get yelled at by um, some college staff. And um, it took a lot of time. Now, mind you, during my college experience, when I picked it up, it was halfway through my college experience. So I had another two years that I was practicing skateboard. I did bail and crash a couple times on the sidewalk where I hit a lip too hard or something like that and scraped up my elbows probably twice or three times. And it's hurt, um, mind you, but you kind of just have to get up and, and kind of walk it off or run it off. What I ran it off, grabbed my board and ran because I was embarrassed. Um, and expect to get hurt on a skateboard. You're going to, you're going to hurt yourself. I, I'm glad I have done nothing besides scratches and scrapes. Uh, nothing has been broken. Um, but I would expect that. Now, from getting that penny board, I kind of got the placement of my feet a little bit better. Uh, you can kind of have them in a T formation. Um, that's kind of the easiest way. And penny boards are fairly small, so you don't have to push them too hard. And you can kind of pick your own speed. And, and they're pretty good at stopping because you just kind of bring a f your other foot down and uh, just drag it a little bit. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to maneuver to stop a penny board like straight up. So it's usually just pushing your feet down or just jumping off the board completely. Um, so if you're into that kind of like cruising around, I would suggest it. Uh, again, you're 14, so you're still kind of learning. Um, I am a little bit lighter so um, and a little bit taller probably because I'm 6'3". I'm, I'm um, so you might have a better – it depends on your balance and how well you can like balance yourself. I You probably have a better balance system than me. I'm pretty lanky and – it's difficult to, for me to find my center of balance. Um, but again, I would say it's a lot of dedication and hard work. Cut to me now when I'm living in Toronto. And the first year that I'm living in Toronto, I bought one of my favorite boards. And I'm going to tell you what type of board that I would suggest if you're getting started. Um, I wouldn't suggest getting a penny board as they're very difficult to, to, to ride. Um, I don't know why I decided to do that. I, I hurt myself a couple times, like I've already said. Uh, it really was a test by fire, a trial by fire, sorry. And um, it made me, I would say, a better skater. But um, if I could try it over again, I would probably not. The reason I also like penny boards is because they have thicker wheels, like um, long boards, which I, I like not hearing skateboard wheels because uh, I find it really loud on the pavement. Uh, but the board I have now is a land yacht, uh, and it's spelled land yacht and then z land yachts I don't, I don't know how it's pronounced um, but i went to a skateboard shop in kensington market uh, those of you from toronto will know augusta street kensington market very hipster place i went in with a good friend of mine trying to look for a cool um, i wanted a hybrid i wanted something that was a skateboard but had the wheels of a longboard uh, so it had more stability and it was a little bit stiffer and so i found this land yacht board and this guy just recommended the heck out of it to the point where I was like I usually like to sleep over things that are uh, purchases that are over a hundred dollars but this one he sold me on it like I was 
the, the way that the board looked, the feel of the board, because he let me test it out for a little bit, was beautiful. So I would really recommend trying to get a cruiser board. And they have a couple cruiser boards on their website. Um, one of them that they have that's similar to mine, I think the one that I have is something called like a tugboat captain or uh, the dinghy emboss. I think it's actually the dinghy emboss, um, which these boards can go to $160, $170. Uh, I'm pretty sure I didn't pay that though. I probably, I think I got a better price. Um, but their their cheapest board is $125. It's called the Holotech Dinghy Black or the Holodeck Dinghy Natural. Um, it's just what you care about um, kind of on the bottom of the board. Um, but I would highly recommend it. Uh, these boards are the size of skateboards, but they're shaped a little bit differently. Um, they're better balanced. They have like, on the bottom of the board, they have actually areas for the wheels to carve out. So it's really easy to maneuver your board back and forth. I highly recommend this board. It's it's weighted differently than other boards and other skateboards. It's not really, you can do tricks and stuff like that on this longboard, but it's a cruising board, like it's indicated in the name, is meant for traveling around and having fun. So I highly recommend this board. Um, if not, uh, if, you, if you're on a tight budget, the penny board is probably a really good start or finding a skateboard at a second hand shop i'm not very familiar with how to buy uh like what the prices are like for skateboards um or if you have to buy the decks and the trunks and the wheels all separately um but maybe you can find a second hand one for a good price too uh but i hope at 14 i, I don't know what you're kind of looking for but uh, i would highly recommend this holotech dinghy by land yacht um so I hope you have fun. I hope you enjoy the skating culture that it is. And you know what? Just have fun with it. Um, find places to skate. It's it's great to find some like boardwalks that you can go down with or some, some paths besides some, some rivers. We have the Humber River and we have a great path that I can skate down of. And I love trying it out um, with some nature around me and just... Um, just having the wind rush by me while I'm kind of uh, dodging like little potholes or skating around people. It's a lot of fun. Um, so really recommend it. And I kind of find it a great form of exercise too. Uh, you, and like you said, it's, it's a great way to socialize and I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold you back on this. But just remember, the, the whole point about skating and, and doing it is having fun yourself. So don't do it to just try to fit in. Uh, I would do it because you, you, you do look find it looks fun and, and you want to have fun with it um, so with that I hope that helps you with your advice and ladies and gentlemen if you're still listening I want to thank you so much for listening to this Tuesday episode 15 of a mention with Kevin you guys have been great and like always I just want to remind you to brush your teeth floss and I will see you on the next one ciao